Uh, Please uh, turn to Mark 10 now. Uh, We're going to read verses 17 through to 31. Mark 10, verse 17. Now as, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honour your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first let's pray lord god as we dive into this part of mark's gospel we ask that you would help us help us to understand what you are teaching to us Help us to have an attitude of humility, both to learn and to do what we learn. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just like the verses we looked at last week, we have another section of Mark's Gospel for us that is very, very well known. Uh, We've probably read it a whole bunch of times as we've read through Mark's Gospel. And it's also an interaction that's recorded in three of the four Gospel accounts. Uh, John's Gospel is the only one that doesn't have this recorded. So quite likely we've read it in, maybe not Mark, but Matthew or Luke as well. It's very well known, and just like last week, it's been uh, a place where an expression has stood the test of time, like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now I'm going to tell you later on, I'll repeat myself then, that expression was actually a Persian one where originally it was an elephant passing through the eye of a needle. But because of the impact of the Bible, we're more familiar with a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Now, we could 
talk about colloquial sayings and their origins coming from the Bible, but it's going to be far better for us to look at the spiritual lessons that Christ has for us here. We pick up in verse 17 immediately where we left off last week. There's been no travel in between, although Jesus is beginning to head down the road, away from where he had just blessed the little children. And as he's going... He was continuing on with his itinerant, with his travelling preaching. He was continuing that. He's heading down the road, a young fella, who we read elsewhere was a rich young ruler, an influential man in his own town at the very least, if not region or nation, came running, knelt down before Jesus and asks an absolute ripper of a question. Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life that is a fantastic question we're going to see some problems within the question but the heart behind that question is a fantastic question what do i need to do to have eternal life there's a lot we could say about this a lot of questions we could explore coming out of this one question but let's look at jesus reply he begins by saying to this young guy why have you called me good Now that there, that question Jesus asks in response to the question, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God, is one that people who deny the divinity of God have tried to latch on to to say that here's proof in the Bible that Jesus himself is denying that he is God. Some people, even people who... I'd say falsely profess to be Christians, make that claim. Jesus denying divinity, they say. But that goes against so many things that Jesus has said about his divinity right up until now. We go back to early in Luke's gospel, uh, Mark's gospel where Jesus healed the paralyzed man. To prove to you that I can forgive sins, I say to you, get up and walk. The guy got up and walked. The Pharisees and everyone in the room knew, just as we know from Scripture, the only person who can forgive sins is God. Many times Jesus has done things that prove his divinity. We think of the transfiguration at the beginning of Mark 9, of Jesus, some of his glory being revealed to the three guys who are with him. To say that this question Jesus asks in response to this young ruler coming to him is Jesus denying his godhood is to grossly misunderstanding Christ's teaching. It, 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 is to dismiss everything that we've seen in Mark's Gospel up until this point. It makes the only context in Mark's Gospel, that one question there, nothing else matters. That's just silly. We have to read so much into that to come to the conclusion that those come to. Maybe it makes us think, though. Maybe it does raise the question for us. But what Jesus is basically saying is, if you're going to insist on calling me good... You have to understand that you are calling me God. Let's not be flippant with our words. If you're going to come to me and call me good, don't try and flatter me with that. Understand what you're really saying is that I am God. The question is not designed from Jesus to deny his divinity at all. It's to get us thinking about how we view God and how we use the words that we use. Words have meanings for a reason. We shouldn't change them. We try to. 
but we shouldn't. They mean something. It's a reminder for us what we have here in verse 18, that we have an account here before us in Mark's gospel that we're reading through and taking a long time reading through because this is the account of God in human flesh. I could labour that point further, but for your sakes I won't. We'll keep moving. Jesus goes on from there, asks this question, and then he gets this guy to think about the commandments that God has given. Remember, the question that we're really dealing with isn't, is Jesus God? The question we're dealing with is, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Think about the commandments God's given you. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, so that's don't lie. Uh, Don't defraud, don't rip people off. Honour your father and your mother. That is God's law. If you want to know how to inherit eternal life, look at God's law and keep God's law. That is how you do it. You keep the law. hope that is making you stop and scratch your heads. It's meant to. You're going to hear me say, and you've probably heard me say, I've heard most of you guys say this, if not all of you guys say this, that we cannot keep God's law. It is impossible for us to keep God's law. Why is Jesus saying this? He is drawing the rich young ruler in. And for those of us who are prone to pride in our achievements, pride in our ability to stand before God on our own and say, we've done it, this is drawing us in. It's engaging our hearts. We shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking we can keep God's law, but sadly... As critical as we can be of the young man for what he says next, I think we've found ourselves there many times. I've done it. The rich young ruler replies to Jesus, I have kept these things since my youth. I am a great guy. Not only am I influential, but I am an upright, honourable, just man. Now give me the inheritance I want of eternal life. Now, in all of this, we're probably going, why did this guy come to Jesus? He's saying, I've kept God's law since I was an ankle biter. But there still seems to be something laid on his heart that he doesn't quite have it yet. I think he knows, despite the answer of I've done it, I think he knows he hasn't done it. He knows that there's no certainty in his efforts. He knows that he's fallen short. There is a distinct difference between not being caught breaking the law and not breaking the law. I can tell you with a good conscience that I have never received a speeding ticket. I can't tell you that I've never sped. Sometimes it just slips up, doesn't it? And this guy's forgetting the one who judges us is the one who sees all things. Perhaps he hasn't been caught in a visible way breaking God's law, 
But then we look at Matthew chapter 5 to 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus takes the law and he expands on the law to see what it is to really keep the law. And it's not just actions, but it's thoughts as well that matter. To have a thought of lust is to have committed adultery. To have thought of taking something that doesn't belong to us is to have committed theft in our heart. To hate your brother or sister is to commit murder. Our thoughts disqualify us based on Jesus' first response here from inheriting the uh, the, uh, eternal life. They leave us having broken God's law. And we need to be challenged on this because when we look at God's law, we can fall into one of two camps quite often. We can either feel very very proud like this rich young ruler did for having kept it. What a wonderful person I am because we haven't examined our hearts. Or we can look at God's law and feel overly despondent because we realise just how badly we've broken it. Both of those, those places are bad places for professing Christians to find themselves. I hope that by the time we finish this morning, we don't find ourselves overly proud or overly beaten down by what Jesus says here. And Christ helps us because he continues the lesson. He says, okay, hypothetically you've done all of that, which we know he hasn't. We know this guy hasn't kept the law, but hypothetically if you have done all of that, you still lack one thing. Oh, what's that? What else do I have to do? Sell your stuff, look after those who are poor and follow after me. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not just give up everything you have, but give yourself over to a life of persecution and hardship following Jesus Christ and then you will inherit eternal life. If we think about it, Jesus telling this man that keeping the law was what it takes to inherit eternal life. That should have been discouraging for this fellow as he examined his heart and gone, I can't do it, that burden is too much. When Jesus goes that next step, sell the things that you hold dear. Don't be a rich young ruler, be a faithful man who loves God. Take up your cross and follow me. That's too hard, that's too far, I can't do it. Jesus is not picking on this guy here. Mark very clearly tells us in verse 21 that Jesus looked at him, loved him and said this. Out of love that Jesus said this, he's not going to lead people astray. It's not an easy teaching, but it's a loving teaching. And the man heard this and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, there is, of course, debate as to whether the great possessions were he had the best of everything or whether he had lots or whether it's both. He had great possessions and he went away sorrowful. This is just too much. I can't do it. That was the point where he gave up. To be asked to love God To love Christ more than his things was too much. He was not willing to give everything up out of love for God. And because of that, he left. He did not follow Jesus.
that should break our hearts. Because we see that today. We know those people today who just can't give up things here on earth to follow Christ. So they walk away. It's too hard. I can't do it. So I'm out. If you're here today listening and haven't professed faith in Christ, please don't leave Jesus because of these words. Keep listening to Jesus' words. There's a reason we kept reading up to verse 31. Because while the young man walked away, Jesus wasn't done teaching about this yet. This is not a lesson that says it's impossible for us to inherit the kingdom of God. This is not a lesson that says if you have a good bank account... You're not going to heaven. These aren't the things that are going on here. It's hard for those who are wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus says. He says it a few times. His disciples were astonished at Jesus' words each time he said it. Twice he says it, twice we get the response that they were astonished. He doesn't say impossible, he says it's hard. The disciples are astonished because think about the people who were in religious power at the time, claimed they had the keys to God's kingdom, so to speak. The scribes who knew all of God's law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, that other group of the Essenes we don't see in Scripture but were there at the time. These are the ones who are doing pretty well. They're doing not too badly in Jewish culture at the time. They're maybe not living as comfortably as the tax collectors, but they're filthy people, so we'll exclude them from the equation. And Jesus says it's hard for the wealthy people to inherit the kingdom of God. The, the, the response of astonishment should make sense. Jesus is saying here it's hard for these wealthy religious rulers even to inherit the kingdom of God. Now we need to remember that this cannot be disconnected from the faith we saw last week. Faith like a child to just trust in Christ. And of course, we grow in our faith from there. Jesus is not saying here that being poor is what gets you into heaven. Jesus is not saying here that being middle class gets you into heaven. It's just the upper class who are excluded. That's not what Jesus is saying. Verse 24, Jesus goes further from saying it's hard for those who have uh, possessions to enter heaven to talk about those who trust riches. It's in trusting riches, not God, that keeps some people out. People just like this rich young ruler. And Jesus illustrates this point by talking about it's the camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, as I said earlier, originally this was a Persian expression. It's hard for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. I'm not sure exactly what context the Persians would have used it in. But for them, the elephant was the largest animal. You go to these dusty Palestinian streets we're in right now, the camel's the largest animal. That's why they use it. The biggest animal they had. It's hard for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, we need to understand what the eye of the needle is. There are a lot of thoughts about what this is. A view that's becoming very common is that in the wall of Jerusalem, there was a small after-hours nighttime gate that travellers could use, small because it needed to be secure at nighttime and it was the cover of darkness, uh, called the Needle Gate. Now, what's hypothesised with this gate is that it was a gate that a camel driver, if they removed the saddlebags, the saddles, every bit of baggage from the camel, got the camel down onto its knees, the camel could somehow shuffle its way through to the other side. We see how hard that is. It's not an easy process. My problem with saying that's what Jesus was talking about is archaeologically there is no proof of that gate ever existing. I think Jesus is literally saying it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle that you would have used for your fishing lines, for your sewing, those sorts of things. Easier for a camel to go through that size needle, that tiny little head of the needle, the eye of the needle, than anything else. Jesus seems to be deliberately using an extreme form of exaggeration to bring about this truth to our eyes. And if we think about it, the struggle, while it might be more evident for those who are rich to trust God rather than riches, has application for those of us who maybe don't consider ourselves rich. But for the rich, it's so easy in many ways to trust their job, their properties, their possessions to keep them safe, to maintain social standing, to maintain friendships, to maintain usefulness, to maintain all these things. Perhaps it's even I'm a good person because I use my wealth to give and I like the accolades that I get from it, maybe attached on to the end of it. The point is that they can trust in the riches more than God. I think those who are less well-off can have the same trust issues as well. If only I had more. If only I could build a bigger fence. If only I could buy a bigger dog. If only I had a better car. Then I would be safe. Then I would be comfortable. It's still a trust in riches, isn't it? And that's what Jesus was talking about in verse 24. There's issues of covetousness here and coveting possessions and loving and trusting possessions more than God. I think the disciples are starting to get it. In verse 26, with this second point of astonishment, they, they, they said among themselves, who then can be saved? Who can be saved if we can't have trust in riches, if trusting riches excludes us from the kingdom of God, how on earth are we going to get there? Who really doesn't trust riches? It's not something we can do. Last week we see the disciples really missing the mark, but we see hints of them growing, and this is one of them. Who then can be saved? It's a brilliant question. Who can be saved? And this is where we see what is possible with God, and what is impossible with man? For all the possibilities we can have with healthy bank balances, there are still things that escape us. Most importantly, salvation. 
We cannot buy it. We cannot earn it. We cannot do things to earn salvation for ourselves. We cannot do enough to keep God's law well enough because if we break it once, we are guilty of the whole law. We can't keep God's law, but God can and God did keep his law. We can't do enough to save ourselves, but God can and God did save us. After showing this wisdom, Peter then speaks, and of course it's Peter who speaks. He says, we've left everything to follow you. We've done it. We've left everything. And Jesus then goes on in verse 29 through to 31. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. We can't forget taking up our cross to follow him. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter says, we've done it. We left our boats, we left our nets, we followed you. We did it. For some people, this is all it takes to consider themselves Christians. Giving what they have. But remember where the disciples were at in terms of considering Christ. The one who was going to overthrow the Romans. The one who would win back Jewish freedom. The one who would make Israel great again. The one who they would be close to and have positions of authority when the revolution was successful. There's some very important words in what Jesus says. There is an enormous reward for those who give everything to follow Jesus. But Jesus says, those who have left those things behind, everything you have behind, for my sake and the gospel's. For my sake and the Gospels is what Christ says. It takes faith to do what Jesus asks us to do. Faith, which is a gift of God, is the only thing that can guarantee that we will do this in the right way. Uh, the Presbyterian uh, pastor in America, Brian Chapel, is fond of saying, and I like repeating him, doing things for the wrong reasons, or doing the right things for the wrong reasons is wrong. And doing the wrong things for the right reasons is wrong. If we give things up to follow Christ, that's good. But to do this faithfully, we don't do it for the reward. We do it for Jesus' sake and for the Gospels. To tell others the good news. To share this news of life. To share this news of salvation from sin. And there are rewards both now and in eternity for those of us who are moved by the Spirit to do this. 
If we do this, if the Spirit has moved us to do this, we will feel a cost in following Jesus. Take up your cross, persecution. These are hard words that we can't ignore here. But there will be a reward a hundred times bigger than what we give up. That's a good return. But we don't do it for the return. We do it because we love God who has shown even in this passage his love for people. If we don't do it for Jesus' sake and the Gospels, then we go back to being like the camel trying to squeeze through the eye of a needle to get eternal life. It's not going to end well. It's going to be beyond messy. It's not going to succeed. It is impossible for us, but with God, all things are possible. And that is the beauty of the faith that he has given to us. For my sake and the gospel, Christ says, when we have faith, that faith is a wonderful, amazing, beautiful gift from God that makes it possible to live for Jesus in the right ways. Not doing the right things for the wrong reasons, not doing the wrong things in the right ways, doing the right things the right ways for the right reasons. Jesus does ask us to follow him. Be willing to give everything up. And that might be a crushing thought. Perhaps that thought of taking up our cross and following him. That is not a pleasant thing, but we consider where Christ is now. He is in heaven. He is at the Father's right hand, interceding for those who he loves. We can't sugarcoat the fact that it's very likely going to hurt. There's very likely going to be suffering along the way. It's incredibly likely that we will feel beyond broken at times here on earth. Maybe by God's grace we won't suffer so much. But that's no guarantee. But we can pray that for one another. But be prepared to go through hardship. Because if we do, if we do, if we follow him because we love him, there is an incredible reward. We may feel like we have become the least of people here on earth giving up everything to follow God. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus carefully chosen the word many there, not all. We could read that in the context as many who are rich will be made last and many who are poor will be first as a result of God's goodness and blessings to those who love him and trust him. We have to stand ready to give everything we have for him. We remember the prize, the richness of the reward that God promises to us. And as we suffer, should we suffer? We need to remember that as much as we might go through, as hard as the things we might go through are, 
we are never going to go through anything close to what Christ himself went through for us. Christianity is not a fluffy, light message. There is light and there is hope and there is salvation, there is forgiveness, there is redemption, there is restoration. The cost is high, but the rewards are higher. And praise God for that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your teaching. We know that this is a hard thing for us to consider. There are times where we have fallen into the attitude of the rich young ruler where even if we're willing to give a lot, there may be things that we're not quite willing to give up for you. And even sometimes those things that we are willing to give up to follow you, perhaps we see the reward and think that is our motivation. Lord God, keep us from these attitudes. Help us be willing to give everything should you call on, us to, call on us to give what we have. And help us, Lord God, to not do it for the reward, but to do it out of love for you, knowing that you will take care of us and the rest. Ask us in Christ's name. Amen.